everybody and welcome to the next episode of the Positive Pedagogy for Sport Coaching Podcast. It's always a mouthful. That, um, remember, this is a shameless plug. Around about May 22nd, 23rd, the second edition of the Positive Pedagogy for Sport Coaching book will be released. And that has various theoretical chapters, but also loads of practical examples of reflections from individual and team sport coaches about their use of the ideas and key features of positive pedagogy. And with that in mind, I have done a good job here requesting or sequesting one of the chapter authors from the book, chapter 16, Making Strength and Conditioning Fun. Charles Schultz is with us today and he's going to talk to us about his coaching and his background in coaching and his utilisation of the features of positive pedagogy. So welcome, Charles. Oh, thanks for having me on today. So we are going to um, cr- um, kick off with just a little bit of an intro. So tell us a little bit about yourself, the old blind date. So what's your name and where do you come from? Uh, so uh, Charles Schultz, I was uh, raised in Worthington, Ohio, just as, uh, just north of uh, Columbus. Uh, played sports my whole life. Pretty much every season was doing something different. Um, Ended up falling in love with baseball, and that was kind of my ticket. Uh, was lucky enough to be good enough to play collegiately at Youngstown State and uh, was an All-American there my freshman year and then a strength and conditioning All-American my senior year. And that kind of led me into the uh, the strength world and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And, um, you know, then I, I shifted gears and decided to coach a little bit after my, uh, my high school baseball coach passed away from cancer. It was kind of like my little wake-up call that I needed to do more and give back a little bit more because he did so much for me so it was kind of one of those nudges in the right direction Mm -hmm. and uh haven't looked back it's been great so so currently you are coaching various sports and doing some strength and conditioning work so do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're doing currently yeah absolutely um right now I am uh, the varsity assistant coach for softball at Pickerington Central High School um I also am involved with the volleyball team over there uh, I did baseball prior to the softball uh, coming up, and then I do strength and conditioning for all three of those programs, as well as a couple programs uh, for Pickerington North as well. And that's in here in sort of the Columbus area, Ohio, yeah. southeast in the, side in the USA. For yeah. those <laughs> listeners who are away from America, because we all think America runs the world, but I guess it does. Right. But you know. um, so you you were stimulated to get into coaching by. The passing, unfortunately, of um, one of your former coaches. Um, So can you talk a little bit about your development as a coach? So since you started coaching, have you, what coach education have you been involved in or what self-teaching have you been doing and things like that? Yeah, so um, my high school coach was phenomenal at relationship building. Um, And and now that I've been in the uh, the OU master's program for coaching, I realized that he was very much a, a positive pedagogy kind of guy. Um, the way he, he taught the game, the way he asked questions, the way he pushed. Um, and his inspiration kind of led me into the coaching world. And since that, I, you know, I, I'm a big believer that the relationship is, is the key centerpiece to making a difference both on the field and off the field. Um, and so that's kind of been a big part of my, my philosophies with coaching is, is – relationships first you know it's about the kids it's about the athlete it's about Mm -hmm. their growth um 
whether we win or lose or whether I get any recognition doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's about what they take away. And hopefully by doing it this way, one, they learn the game, two, they love the game, and three, maybe somewhere down the line, they decide that they want to help teach the game. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of the, the big circle of it all is, is can, they, can they learn the game the right way? Can they enjoy it while they do it? And then do they want to continue to be a part of it after their playing career is done? Because that's where it comes down to. And you mentioned in the chapter a little bit about not only coaching after, but actually just staying involved in the game. Because we have a problem in the United States where we're retired by 22, 23 years old. And like I play youth, uh, not youth soccer, Craigie. Um, I coach youth (laughs) soccer here. But I um, am involved in some adult soccer. Mm -hmm. And it's a way to build connections and feel good about life we're enjoying some physical activity around people who have a shared consciousness about the value and meaning of physical activity yeah yeah so i still play i play volleyball uh competitively in adult leagues around here i went to nationals a few times for adult leagues which was fun um buddies keep trying to get me to play softball i'm not quite i'm not quite ready to do that yet um i still think i can hit a 90 mile an hour fastball so in my mind i'm like nah i'm still a baseball player but um but I like to go around and be around the athletics and be around in sports. And, yeah. you know, a bunch of my, my team, my players come see me during the off season, which is great. So they, they, they want to learn more. They want to retain more. And, and that's showing me that there's a joy for the game, which when you're not being told to play and you still want to go play, um, I think you've done your job as far as making it fun. Yeah. And again, that's the central theme in the chapter. So we, we, um, as part of your philosophy, you're very big into strength and conditioning side of things as well as coaching kind of team sports. And you noticed a bit of a disconnect with the way team sports run and the way the strength room ran. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, the, the way I've, I've always seen the strength room is that there's this one coach who stands there and yells at everybody to, to work harder and work faster and lift this and do that. And um there wasn't much teaching. There wasn't much learning in the weight room. It was all about work. Um, and I think that there's a place for both in the weight room. I think that you need to learn how and why the movements are the way they are and, and what they do to benefit you. Um, but there also has to be some autonomy for the kids because me yelling at a kid to work harder may help in that moment, but that doesn't make them want to work out after. I mean, they should enjoy the workouts, even though it's hard and they're struggling. And at times they're like, man, I don't know if I can make it. I want to quit. But mm-hmm. afterwards they should be like, well, that was beneficial. And I know why I did it. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that means that then they'll want to do it after they're done playing. Because there's so many times that you see these great athletes who, once their playing careers are done, they get overweight and they get you know, depressed and they get all these different things that happen because they were always told to do it. And in the weight room, if you're just told to do it all the time, when it's time that your career's done and nobody's telling you to do it, you're not going to. Well, there's not a bigger picture outcome either. The, it's kind of process product is I do the lift, I can play on the field. Whereas the, the, what you're talking about is the process is let's learn not just to lift properly, but the shared and common values and we'll talk about team culture and then hopefully by stimulating that and getting a joy for the activity I'll want to continue it even when I leave in some capacity yeah the the other thing too is when they enjoy it they work harder I mean you can yell at a kid all you want and they may work harder in that moment when you're yelling but the second you turn away to look at another kid guess what they're not working they're Mm -hmm. done but if they actually enjoy the process of putting in the work and they learn why it's valuable and what it's doing then there are so many times where I have kids who ask, hey, we have a day off. Can I come work out? I mean, I have one coming over today. Um, 
she texted me this morning. She goes, Hey, we're not practicing today. Can I come work out and hit? And I go, you know, that's always, yes. You don't have to Mm -hmm. ask me. You just just show up. I'll be there. (laughs) And so that is to me, the, the, the growth part of teaching, lifting and making it fun and also making it something that they see value in, um, is that they want to do it on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, there was something else. But, oh, yeah, and then in the sort of positive pedagogy con- context when they're in the weight room or whatever and they're, they're getting a sense of this is the only thing going on in my life right now. I don't need to be looking at my phone and all this. They're in that sense of flow, which is an important concept in positive pedagogy, and that's in the new book. Shameless plug again. Um, <laughs> but I think that that's important because I, I've had it where when you're playing your phone's away, you're not thinking of anything else, you're in the moment, and yeah. particularly here, you're in the moment with others, mm-hmm. and you have a shared experience, and it's, yeah. you keep getting that, you know, it's stimulating the endorphins and things like that, yeah. Yeah, we do, we do a lot with, like, partners and lifting together and making sure that, that your stimulation doesn't have to be in front of your face on a little panel, it can be with your teammate. So you're talking to each other, they're critiquing each other, they're helping to, hey, did you stay on your heels on your squat, or did you, did you move laterally on your lunge you know are you doing these things the right way and they're holding each other accountable and it's not just me doing all the the accountability stuff it's it's giving it back to them to you know this is what we do this is our culture we work hard and if you don't want to work hard somebody on the team's going to tell you not a coach and, and that's I think a huge piece in the the process of buying into the weight room and buying into the strength part of it so good segue because that was the next sort of thing we talked about is sort of establishing that team culture so in particular in the chapter you talked about various strategies you mentioned one of them about working in peers do you want to talk a little bit more about that yeah the culture kind of side of things in the weight room I like to put older girls with younger girls because the older girls have been there they've understood or the older guys depending on the team um they know what to expect, what the, the, I guess the, the ultimate outcome of the hard work is going to become, where some of the younger girls are a little bit hesitant, a little bit apprehensive about the, the work that we're doing or the weights that we're lifting, and they don't want to like get bulky or they don't want to, you know, whatever, and the, the common misconceptions of, of being in the weight room. And so having the older group lead, it becomes a, well, I want to be like them one day, what do I have to do to do that? And they're like, well, follow me and I'll show you. And, and that's a neat thing is that it's this constant replacement of, you know, the young girls move to the old girls and the old girls then lead the young girls. And it's just this nice circle of this is the expectation. If you want to be like this group that just came before you. And the nice thing is we have a successful program over at Central. We win a lot. There's these high expectations to be successful. So that also mm-hmm. helps kind of feed that, well, I want to be like that next group. I'm going to work as hard or harder. And, it, and that kind of helps that. Um, but that's important because that the historical thread is important about how you tie that into the development of the culture. Yeah. And you use some of the players that have graduated to sort of say, well, mm-hmm. these have gone on and been successful, like not just at sport, but in life. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. I mean, last year we had five seniors. And while three went on to play in college, um, the other two were extremely successful academically, and they're, I mean, the one's got a full-time internship this summer at a firm in Columbus, which I thought was pretty amazing as a mm. freshman out of college to have a paid internship. And mm. So they're leading in other ways, and, and not just necessarily always on the field, um, which I think is a neat thing, is that, you know, they see success at the high school level, but then they also see success as they move on, 
And that definitely leads into the younger girls going, well, if I follow this path, I too can be successful. So what some of the suggestions so you had using the sort of tiered system, not in a bad way, saying, oh, this is a more experienced player, so she's going to tell you what to do, and if you don't do it, you're going to run, right? That's not yeah, how you're no, doing it. No. But what are some other suggestions you might have for coaches about um, establishing sort of team culture? I think you talked about making it a little bit more gradual. And yeah. Um, the, the biggest thing that helps me, help, help me um, was finding the four or five people that are most bought into the work um, and then letting them be in charge of subgroups. And there's definitely not punishment for not do. I, I don't believe in running for not doing something. Because, again, as a person who believes in health and fitness, if I make you run every time you do something wrong or you did something bad or I don't approve of something and punishment is running, well, you're going to see running as punishment for the rest of your life. So guess what you're not going to do when you're done playing sports? You're not going to go run. Like, that was the way I was brought up. When I did something wrong, I ran. I hate to run. And, and being in, like, the physical education and the, and the sports uh, strength and conditioning world, that's hard for me because I have to force myself to run mm. because I see it as punishment. So the last thing I want to do is have somebody I'm working with see – running as punishment because running is good for you it's beneficial you should go want to do that i mean it's a beautiful day today it's nice outside go for a run yeah you know clear your mind put your headphones in think a little bit but going back to what i was you know getting at is is have that core group of people who are your leaders who are your your veteran players and they don't have to be seniors if you're at the high school level or college level they can be sophomores or juniors but you know who your top not necessarily performers are but motivated workers are and let them be in charge of running your warm-up, teaching the younger girls or guys the, the proper form and technique because they've, they've been there, they've put in the work, they've put in the hours. Mm -hmm. Now let them learn how to be leaders. And then when they have troubles, let them come to you and say, hey, how do I handle this? And then you can respond with some different type of questionings of, you know, let's say, for example, a girl's not working hard, and you can ask, well, have you had that conversation with her over the value of this? Does she understand why we're doing these things? And you can have them start to think through, well, maybe I haven't told them that this leads to that. You know, if I work on my rotational power with a medicine ball and somebody's throwing it hard and the other person's just kind of like going through the motions, do they understand that that rotational movement is going to better suit them for their power output when they're batting? Because if you haven't explained that, and, and again, I don't like to always explain everything fully to them. I want them to figure it out and learn it through their own process instead of me always telling you this is why, this is where, this is how. So there's there's always that, I guess, that learning happening instead of it just being told all the time. Yeah, but they're learning through a, having an experience. So yes, yeah. So um, there was something else I was going to um, jump in and, and prompt you on, but I've forgotten. So in terms of the, um, oh, what I was going to say was, it's important, and I think that this is why this chapter is really awesome in the book, because you you set the scene by saying, this is what I do in team sports. This is the disconnect from the team sport environment to the weight room. You're trying to dovetail the two things together and get similar things going on. So you, if you have a leadership group in a team sport, why aren't you having that in the weight room? Right. And then it's even easier for the players to understand, oh, we come in the weight room and it's kind of the same as... Yeah. yeah, you have a similar... You have a practice plan when you show up to practice. 
there should be a workout plan and it should have a similar feel to it. You know, if you have mini groups that do different things, you should have mini groups based on position. You could do different workouts, you could do different things. Um, you know, so I have my pitchers and my catchers work together because they work together on the field. Mm-hmm. I have my outfielders stick together because that's their group, you know. And, and now there's always times that for team stuff at the end where we all come together and compete together. Um, but you're going to have these different groups when you practice. You're going to have these different mini games going on when you practice and you do these different things. So why not have different exercises and different groups? And I know it's more work to do that, and that's probably part of the reason why it doesn't happen all the time. But mm-hmm. You will see huge benefits because the leadership will grow. The communication between the, the kids will grow. Um, you know, the first time I did it, I wrote a workout on the board, and they were from different groups. And people looked at it, and they're like, well, what do I do with this? I go, it's on the board. If you have specific, come come get me. I'm going to make sure you're doing it right. You know, that's what I oversee. If I see something that's completely wrong, obviously, from a safety perspective, I'm going to be like, hey, whoa, whoa let's do this. Let's adjust. But uh, most of them know how to squat. Most of them know how to pick up a ball. Most of them know how to do these basic things. They don't need me to, to hover and to, to tell them do five more, or get in their ear and yell at them, you can go harder. You know? hmm. That doesn't do anything. But if, you're, if your teammate next to you is cheering you on and yelling for you to do more, you're more likely to want to do it versus a coach. Um, and that's huge. I agree. Um, so just taking, again, a, a build off that, you you talked about this competition at the end of practice so let's mm-hmm. talk a little bit about designing the learning activities how you kind of set up your practice plan what are some key features of of that and how you manipulate that to get the right level of challenge and flow going in the practice yeah so um i'll do it from for the softball stuff so i work a lot with the outfielders um at, with the program so when it comes to my plan for them is I always break them up into smaller groups so that we're getting more reps. I, I, I don't like the old traditional getting a line, one person gets a fly ball, one person gets a fly ball. So there's always at least two people working for a fly ball at any given time at a minimum. Because hmm. one of the huge things with the outfield is you have to communicate. If you don't communicate on a ball between you, bad things happen. So at the very least, there's always at least two people going at every single drill. Um, the other thing I like to do is create challenges where we do different types of fly balls or ground balls or type of stuff, and they have to compete against each other to see who can catch the most. Um, the, one of the big things I found is that when you compete with each other, you elevate your game. And, and they do it in such a good way because we've built this family culture, especially with my outfielders, because that's a huge piece of what I believe in is that Family is a huge thing for me because you're not always going to get along or you're not always going to agree, but at the end of the day, you're going to love each other and you're going to promote success for each other. You're going to cheer each other on. And, mm-hmm. and um, I've seen that kind of grow each year that I've been with the outfielders that they truly want to see each other succeed. And so while they're competing against each other, whether you're the last person off the bench to play in the outfield or my starting center fielder, a lot of times my person off the bench is going to beat them because they're more hungry. And then that's going to wake the person up who's my starter to, to compete a little bit more. So I like the, the mini stuff. I like breaking them up into smaller groups. I like having them compete against each other. Um, and it's fun watching how they push and some push harder than others. And some are a little bit you know easier on each other uh, to build success because I think they have a better understanding of where they're at mentally and where they're at. Um, skill-wise sometimes than even I am. Um, so if you have a kid who's struggling 
and you have a teammate give them the fly balls that they have to go catch, they may make it so that they can be more successful mm. and build that confidence versus me where I'm just going to make it hard on you all the time. And sometimes you need that balance, in my opinion. You, you want to be pushed to the point where you fail because that's where growing happens, but you mm. also want to see some success at times. And by putting them in those smaller groups and letting the, the kids compete with each other, they see that growth more. Um, that, that's something I've really enjoyed watching them do is that communication piece between each other and that that competition so so they regulate kind of the progression of the activities so yeah. you kind yeah. of so the progression the is, is is we start with the mini like skills work so we'll go from a small little drill and and two or three different spots they'll rotate through their turns and they'll 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 compete with each other mm-hmm. and then I'll break out into a larger more game like type of setting mm-hmm. um, and and do what we worked on in the smaller skills on a larger scale if that, if that makes sense yeah. as far as how I like to work with the outfitter so we'll do the smaller little like you're throwing to each other working you know your drop step working your your angles working that sort of thing and then I'll go from all the way back and do fungos so you get to see like a live perspective of it with a full outfield and it would be more game-like. Yeah. Um, so you also had something like where, I just did this soccer for success thing and they have like a thing at the end where they have a little bit of a fun competition at the end. Yeah. And so you were talking in the chapter about doing that in the in the, in the the weight room. Yeah. So Yeah, so in the weight room, I'll either do a full team competition where everyone's competing against each other to get through a series of sprints or a series of you know difficult movements that don't require a lot of weight so they're not like dangerous yeah um but they're they're difficult so you know for example i have a thing called leg cranks that's a big one it's 24 squats 24 reverse lunges 24 split jumps or scissor jumps or whatever you want to call them and then 12 squat jumps um and they have to get through that without stopping and it's it's a team competition to to work through good form good speed for the entirety of the movement and and get through it and you'll see some people really struggle and stop and some people really push and do stuff like that and then we'll do relay races and we'll do different competition type things where it's broken up into smaller groups it just depends on the day um but i always want them to end with some type of competition because in the in the end of the in the end of it all sports is about competing and so while we're getting stronger in the weight room we should learn how to compete in the weight room too and push each other and and then you were saying that they would start to come up with some ideas themselves. oh yeah yeah absolutely so that's the neat thing too is is over time they start to know what's hard and they start to know what's easy and you'll find real quick which athletes want to continue to work and grow and ones that don't because um sometimes a you know kid will be like "Ah, let's do this competition today which is a little easier and and again I'm never going to say no to the when I give them the choice of what the competition they're doing, mm. um, because it's your choice. That's this is the whole point. It's it's up to you to decide today how's your team feeling and how hard do you want to work. Mm. Um, but it was a real neat turning point for me when I first started implementing the the challenges at the end and letting them kind of decide um, what's today's competition. You know, is it going to be broken up into a smaller group? Is it going to be a team competition? Is it going to be difficult or hard? Is is you know one day I had a it was a senior, I believe, is what it was. Um, they came up and they're like, "Coach, I want it to be super hard today." I was like, "Okay, you're, it's, it's always your choice." And 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 so they chose probably the most difficult thing I've ever seen in my life, and it was a 
a whole bunch of different stuff, but people started complaining about how hard it was and their response was, we're here to work and we're here to compete and today we're going to work hard and we're going to compete. And from that day on, they kind of started to one-up each other. Um, and that was a neat thing to see for me from a, from a weight room perspective because it used to be, you know, oh, it's my choice. Well, we're going to do some jumping jacks. <laughs> well, jumping jacks are pretty simple. That's yeah. okay. All right, cool. You're out of here. Bye. And, and then they decided, okay, well, you know what? I'm here to work. So today I want to do this. And, and it became so much more challenging and so much more difficult. And that was fun. And there was a conversation about having to rein players in and be worried about, oh, they've got to compete the next day. But again, there's a bit of a balance there about um, if you know they're going to get up at six in the morning and the next morning and it's a late right. workout, you yeah. might have to say, well, yeah. why don't we do this? It's quite hard, but it's not as long or whatever. Right. Or you're right. distributing the work. So you can regulate it, but generally at least there's that conversation yeah. between you yeah and, and and a lot of my competing stuff which i was talking about in the book was preseason stuff so they didn't have to play the next day yeah um i do do a lot of um summer training and, mm-hmm. and some of them i'll have tournaments and they'll mm-hmm. come tell me that they hey i have a tournament the next day and i'll change yeah. the volume or when we do the competition they'll do it at a different you know a different thing yeah. um but yeah i mean that's the nice thing too is you can tweak it you can adjust it based on where you're at in the season and what you need to have them ready for. So I'm going to dovetail these two things together. So kind of questioning and inquiry, they're separate kind of features of the positive pedagogy framework. But um, how does that work? I mean, I know you've been saying it, it, it seems to me like it's very dialogical. So people are coming up and asking for help when they need it. Mm-hmm. It's very open rather than... Like, do this, do this, do this, do this. Yeah. So how have you been getting on with doing that and what are some strategies you use? Um, so the, the first couple times I did the, the just write it on the board and let them kind of lead each other, uh, there was a lot of standing around. There was a lot of like slow moving through the workout. Um, so it does take some time for them to really fully understand that I'm not going to yell at you to work faster or to work harder. I'm going to make sure that you are wanting to work harder and to have your teammates kind of push that. Um, and as a coach, sometimes you see kids kind of walking around and being a little bit lazy and it's hard to, to not, you know, jump on them and be like, what are you doing? Why are you here if you're not going to work? You know, um, and that was probably the hardest thing for me is to, to not try to overcorrect from the beginning. Um, and so if, as a, if you're going to a, apply this and you're going to try to give them some autonomy when it comes to the workouts and some freedom to to push each other you have to find a way to bite your tongue when you want to jump on someone and that and that's hard as a coach because you know especially you know here in america you, you you were coached by being yelled at you were coached by getting somebody getting on you and so that kind of trickles down to how you coach um and not to say that there's not times to address the group and say hey look let's let's focus today and, and really try to work through this mm-hmm. um, but once you say that and address it you have to let them kind of figure it out on their own because if you if you're always on them and you're always on their case eventually you're going to get more kickback of i don't really enjoy this i don't want to do it and the same with individuals as yes well. yeah. you might have to pull someone to the side oh, and yeah. Yeah. have a quiet word but again because you've set the environment up in a certain way you've got room to be able to do that mm-hmm. yeah and that's the thing is i have enough leaders now to if i need to pull someone aside and say hey look you're in here, you're, you're here for this hour, you're working, why not do it the right way? Why not do it fully? You know, your, your teammates want to see you succeed. This is a chance for you to, 
to grow and develop. All we're asking is for an hour of hard work. And, and right now I feel like you're just, you know, and you have that side conversation. It's one, it's not as embarrassing for them because you're not yelling at them in front of their teammates. Mm. And two, a lot of times you'll see them go, okay, I can do an hour of hard work. Um, and then they start to feed into the, the idea. And then eventually, I mean, I had a girl that had that hard work issue her freshman year. It was what, three years ago now. And so she's a junior. And now she's one of my best leaders because she used to be that person. So she can relate you know, hey, I was in your shoes. I didn't really think that this was for me. I didn't mm. like this. And now this is where I'm at. And she's a she's a monster. <laughs> she's an yeah. absolute beast on the field and, and in the weight room. And it's... But it's also asking them some questions about the resources they feel they have at their disposal. Yeah. And how they can leverage those to... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it was their experience. It wasn't my experience. So I by question like giving them feedback when necessary but letting them learn and question me when they wanted to they learned what it was about versus me telling them what it was about and so then they saw the results because you're always going to be honest with yourself like did I really put in the work that I needed did I really do what I was supposed to do and and that's one of the big things I always say at the end of it all is like look I'm never going to yell at you to work harder I'm never going to push you in a direction that you don't want to go but at the end of the day you need to look at yourself and go did I do what was asked of me and did I put in the work that was necessary to be better? And if I didn't, did I get the results that I wanted? Because odds are you probably didn't. And so they start to learn that in the weight room that they're free to do their thing. It's on the board for them. I have the workout. It's set up. And the older they get, the more they realize, like, this is beneficial. And watching the older girls lead and instead of it being, I guess, mandatory. Yeah. <laughs> But I think what I'm taking from the conversation is like you've got multiple levels of inquiry because you you have your points where you bring everyone together mm-hmm. and there's a kind of group reflection. Yep. You've got times when you go up to small groups mm-hmm. and work with individual and even talk to the leader of that group. Oh, yeah. And there's some reflection going on there. And then where you need to, you've got some individual reflection where you can ask some questions to explore um, where they feel they've got some strengths they can leverage mm-hmm. a bit more or there's some hinge moments that people right. can leverage on and so you've got that happening all the time yeah. that multiple level yeah. um, and Richard talks about this in the boxing chapter where there's group reflection yeah. and debate amongst the group mm-hmm. and small group but then you've also got that happening at the individual level yeah. too Yeah. so we always start at the beginning with a group you know everyone's together all the workouts are on the board. We communicate about what's going on. We, you know, if you have questions, now's a good time to bring them up so everybody can hear what's going on. Then they break up into their subgroups to work out, and I can float around and, hey, what are you, how's it going? What's mm-hmm. going on? What are you feeling here? How's it, you know, you working through everything okay? You need me for anything? Okay, cool, I'm moving on. And I float. And then, like you said, if I, if I see somebody really struggling or really needing to be pulled aside, I have that ability because I'm floating between the different groups. And then at the end, we come back together. We do our team competition, and then we finish together. Okay, this is what we did today. Everybody feel, what did you think of this? What did you feel with that? What do you think we need to do next? And they get that open discussion um, to start and to finish as a team, and then they have the individual or smaller group discussions throughout. Mm. And so that's kind of a breakdown of the, the hour, you know. Start together, break up, individualize a little bit, come back together. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's um, a good good process and you just write that out in your session plan and you're good to go so um we've kind of talked a little bit about how you implement the the key features of the positive pedagogy 
Um, you mentioned some things about empowering athletes to take ownership through the leadership groups. Um, what are some of the bigger challenges you've had with kind of stepping back a little bit more? And you've mentioned a couple of them, but yeah. then you've got parents and the culture, so you want to talk a little bit about yeah, any um, challenges? The, the nice thing for with the weight room stuff, I don't deal with a lot of the parents saying much. Um, so that's a huge piece for me is that they're not watching their weightlifting numbers and they don't compete on the field with their weightlifting numbers. So I don't usually get, you know, oh, why are we doing this in the weight room when they're playing their game? So that's a nice thing for the weight room setting is I don't necessarily have as much parent stuff. Some every now and then I'll have an approach with like, you know, why are we having them do this lift? And I'll have to kind of have that conversation. Mm -hmm. But um, the, the hardest thing for me when it came to, to, to kind of stepping back was standing there quietly and letting them figure it out when I wasn't telling them what to do. The initial start process, because today's, one thing I've seen in, in today's coaching is it's very much do this, do this now because I said so. You know, there's a lot of being told what to do as a youth athlete, being told what to do as a middle school or high school athlete. And now all of a sudden they're being given the freedom to choose to do or what to do or how to do. And, and they're not, a lot of them are like, well, what, what do you want me to do? It's here. You, you can figure it out. I promise you, you're, you're smart enough to know how. And, and being able to answer with a question is sometimes challenging too, because I want to give you the answer. I want to tell you why this, or I want to, you know, if they're, for example, in the outfield, if there's a play, and they have a job to do as far as where to throw the ball and they throw it to the wrong spot. Instead of yelling, hey, throw it to this spot, being able to have that conversation when they come off and be like, okay, so on that play, what should you have done? Well, I don't even know if you need to say what should you have done, so yeah. what were your options? Right, that too. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean but, but having that yeah. ability to slow down your response instead of just being emotionally responsive. Um, I think is the hardest thing when it comes to changing the style of how you coach in the weight room, on the field, or whatever else, is, is not being so quick to just blurt out what you want, but to be able to just say, hey, tell me what you saw. Why did you do this? Or where do you think we should have done with that? Or what were your options here? And, and having them start to like think through it. So one of the huge things, I'm going to just kind of feed off of that is, with my outfield group, I've been talking to them a lot and we've been working with reading your hitter and understanding where your positioning is. And last night in, in our game, uh, which was a tournament game, which was extremely stressful, uh, <laughs> I watched my outfielders move together as a unit, communicating with each other without me ever once having to direct them where to go. And it was the coolest thing because their the leadoff hitter was up and they moved and shifted and, and went to where they felt like that was needed to be. It was a left-handed hitter. And then the next hitter was a really soft slap hitter who didn't have a whole lot of power, and you watched them both all, all creep in together and, and kind of protect each other. And the next hitter had more power, and they shifted back and around. And it was a neat moment for me because I was, like, sitting there going, okay, we got this person up. Okay, we needed it. And they were already moved. Mm -hmm. You know, I was about to address, hey, this is where I need you to be, and they had already done it mm -hmm. because we had spent time, I guess, allowing them to understand and question what they should be doing they figured it out on their own, and they didn't need me to tell them every single step of the way, move this way, move that way. Um, so I had a neat conversation with them afterwards saying, 
you know, watching you guys move together as a unit in the outfield was amazing. And, mm-hmm. and, and they were all like smiling and enjoying that, that, that kind of moment. And, uh, they made some big plays last night and it, it because of the way they positioned and because of the way they learned, they took away some big hits that allowed us to win the game by one. Yeah. <laughs> so. And then that's where we say evidence-based, but you have no, <laughs> yeah. nothing that, oh, we, if we hadn't done this, we wouldn't, but you can make some assumptions there that, Right. Because of the preparation work. But I think we all get in that way. We get emotional and we get stressed and then you try and control things too much when, I mean, you know, you've got a little baby and we've got kids. If you, The more we try and control them, the worse it gets because whereas if you give them a little bit more freedom to explore and make mistakes and then have the conversation about those, it, I think it's more powerful. Yeah. Um, and I think it's retained better. I mean, it lasts longer. The The... Like I said, you, you can yell at somebody to do something and they may do it in that moment, but do they learn why? Do they learn the reasoning behind everything as far as for future events? If I see that same thing happen again, will they remember me yelling at them? No, mm-hmm. probably not. But if I sit, question, this is what was going on. This, what did you see? Why did you play here? Or why did you do this versus why did you, you know, and, and them figuring it out to an extent on their own with me kind of guiding it, um, it lasts longer, and then they start to, to grow. But you could have lost by one last night. We could have. And maybe the conversation might have been the same. It, I'm so proud of you because yeah. you still stepped up. No, and I, yeah, I had the conversation during the game, whether we won or lost, because yeah. I, I told him it was in the third inning. I was like, watching you guys move together tonight is amazing. Continue to communicate. Continue to do what you're doing. You don't need me to tell you where to be. Trust your instincts and just kind of go with it. Um, and it was after that that they made three big plays in the outfield on – really well hit balls that they were in the right spot um that was the difference well that and we have an all-state catcher who hits a home run so (laughs) and yeah i mean and that's the thing is like there's no one formula and recipe to everything but and you i've always said to people like you need a little bit of luck sometimes and you need a bit of or a bit of opportunity Mm -hmm. and but you've got to add that to how you've developed the, uh, and I'm using this term, the talent on your team, yeah. right? Um, but that all goes into the, the mix, and sometimes you'll have more luck and opportunity than you might have where you're using your talent, but that's okay because yeah. the two are probably synonymous. Yeah. You, you know, as Gary Player said, you create your own luck. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, it, that's a huge piece of it, and anytime you play at a high level, you're going to need a little luck on, at times and things to go your way and the ball to bounce the right way or whatever else, but if you don't learn how to play or where to position yourself and all those other things, the luck may not happen for you. I, I <laughs> completely agree. So if um, you want to give us just a couple of things about what you plan to do in the, in the future here, is it more of the same? Have you got um, you got to obviously graduate. From yeah. You. Yeah. I'm, I'm working and I got two more classes and I'm done and graduating. I'm, I'm still exploring the idea of potentially pursuing a doctorate of to some extent I'm I really enjoy the uh, sports psychology piece um, I'm really enjoying the coaching part so that that's interesting and intriguing to me as well um, I would definitely like to have my own program at some point be a head coach instead of an assistant coach um, so I can have more input on the culture pieces and and the practice plans and and allowing that to happen um nice thing is where i'm at now i do get a lot of freedom to to run the practice for my outfitters how i want Mm -hmm. to implement the strength stuff how i want so i'm not in any hurry to 
to rush out and disappear or anything like that. But um, yeah, the head coaching thing would be cool to have my own program. Um, I just want to keep learning. I, I think that's the neat the neat thing about this is that there's always new information and new things to try and, and some really smart people out there telling you how they did it. And if I'm not taking what they're doing to be successful, then I'm not helping the next generation. So Nice. So where can people get a hold of you if they want to contact you by email or on social media? I know you have a Twitter handle. Yeah, yeah I'm on Twitter. Um, that one I do a lot of softball and, and coach-related stuff. It's at uh, coach underscore Schultz, S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. Um, I am on Instagram. That's more of my weight room stuff. Uh, that's Super Fit Ohio. And then, um, yeah, if you need to, if you want to email me, it's uh, Charles period Schultz, the number seven at Gmail. Dot com. Dot com. Right. <laughs> well, it's been great sharing a bit of the time with you. Obviously, say good luck in the summer. Hopefully, you'll graduate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, no, you will. And um, we'll look forward to keeping tabs on your journey and how you move forward. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you.